For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Good evening and welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with F.L. Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. As we start, Josh, our seventh season on CJD. Welcome today to Today's Entrepreneur. Hello, Dan, and uh, great to be back. Uh, good summer, uh, lots of activity, still lots of sun out there, um, so all, all good. Lucky number seven for our seventh season, and that should be a fun one. Uh, we have a lot of interesting entrepreneurs lined up over the next few weeks, so stay tuned for that. Uh, we do take a little break around Christmas time as usual, but we'll be back uh, right until uh, until next summer. With uh, right, right until the yeah, end of May, Dan. Until with profiles every single week, and uh, this week we'll have Marissa Seidel of National Dispatch Services on the program tonight, so she'll be along very shortly. But first, as usual, a bit of a chat about uh, some of the news we missed over the holidays, and some of which included news from uh, some of our past guests here on Today's Entrepreneur, and uh, it caught my eye right away in the news a couple weeks ago um, on Gava Gin, which, which, is, uh, which is a delicious product that I continued to, to, to drink after we had them on the program at Charles from Domain Pinnacle, uh, and Domain Pinnacle sold uh, on Gava Gin to Ontario's Corby Spirit and Wine for $12 million in the last uh, few weeks. And that's, that's not surprising. You, know, you, you always hear uh, stories about businesses selling off divisions, uh, whether it's on Gava Gin, you know, and it's, it's, it's very... Very recognizable because it's a yellow gin. There's there's not too many of them around. Uh, a recognizable product won some awards, uh, just like uh, one of our other guests, uh, Pure Vodka. They they won some awards. Uh, I don't think they've sold yet, but uh, it, th- there's no doubt that there is. And the discussion I was having with a couple of entrepreneurs the other day is about growth. And uh, I know. Uh, with Angava, they sold, but the reality is, in in any business, entrepreneur, you grow organically or you grow by acquisition slash merger. Uh, and Corby, you know, there's there's a certain amount. I mean, they're, they're a huge operation, of course, but there's only so much you can grow organically. To grow beyond that needs those acquisitions, those mergers. So it's out there, it's happening in all types of products and all types of services. And uh, it was great to see uh, one of our past guests uh, be involved in that. You mentioned Nicolas Duvernois of Pure Vodka, who uh, has been on the program before, and he pops up in the news all the time. He's giving lectures all over the place. Uh, he is really becoming a, a role model for young entrepreneurs, and he's, uh, I think, around 35. Exactly. Well, I mean, yeah. his story is still a great story, and the reality is sometimes you just have to, it, it's a lot of hard work, it's a lot of per- perseverance, and sometimes it's a little bit of luck. And and, and it's a very inspiring story that uh, that I recommend anybody that bumps into Nicola, uh, just, just take a listen, uh, or go to our website, listen to the past show uh, that was on... Uh, I think it was a couple of years ago. Uh, if you go on our website, flmontreal.com, and go to today's entrepreneur section, you'll you'll find all our past shows, including the Pure Vodka and the one for Demand Pinnacle and, and Gavage Gym with Charles Crawford. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's uh, six years worth of inspiration on uh, on there. Lots of podcasting. If you're if you're if you are an entrepreneur interested in uh, in uh, in those stories, they're they're all there on the website. Um, New stories now that we'd like to get into. Uh, we talk a lot about e-commerce and how businesses need to modernize and deal with this new reality. And uh, there's one service called Pudo, uh, which hopes to capitalize on on our need for for all this these delivery services now that come with e-commerce. Well, it's it's e-commerce. So we we all know that it's billions and billions of dollars, trillion dollar industry. People are buying online. It's all a question of convenience. 
but from a consumer standpoint, it's easy. You click a button, you buy it, and you whatever shipping terms they are, whether it's free shipping, whether you pay for extra, but the that actual shipping aspect is really quite complicated and quite tedious for those companies that are shipping their goods. And it's not so much the the the, the main part of the, the longest distance. It's always that last mile. It's always that, yes, I can get it from California to Montreal, you know, the airport, so I can get it from Shanghai to New York. But when it has to get to, you know, Lexington and 60th, you know, then you got to get that last mile or two there. And that's where it's taking up a lot of time and effort and energy and where entrepreneurs can absolutely uh, capitalize on this. So Pudo, pick up, drop off, hence the name, is really getting these convenience stores to be receptive of, of items that people purchase online that mm. they can go to their corner store and say, okay, I wasn't here for the delivery because I'm working during the day. I don't need to go to a, a FedEx office or UPS or whatever that is miles and miles away. I can go to the corner store. And I think that's it's an amazing area that uh, I'm surprised some people didn't pick up on since. Very smart and gives uh, other business owners extra revenue too. Absolutely. There's actually another company that's looking for that, you know, I always say the last mile of shipment and they're working with drones. You know, we keep talking about drones. Uh, well, there's this other company that's looking on, you know, with the, you know, all these your your driverless cars and all that, they cre they're creating a, a, a fleet of drones that kind of look like a, a briefcase, a lunchbox, like a big one kind of suitcase that actually will steer itself along sidewalks hmm. and up to people's residences or homes and deliver a package there. And of course, communicate with you via your phone. Wow, that's so cool. I know there some pizza chains were testing that out too, delivering pizza by drones. Uh, maybe the, the, the drones on the ground anyway might be a bit safer than the ones in the air. But um, uh, Well, you know, there's a lot of things to bump into. One of my favorite topics, and I love all these new healthy snacks these days. We have just really great snack food, I feel like. A lot of, a lot of it is organic and flavors we never experienced before. The snack game is really being elevated. It's And it's not news, Dan. We, we have been talking about the health food market or segment or sector for quite a long time and there's there's never a shortage of new ideas and new things that come out and, and but there's definitely a lack in the marketplace there's still a need people are still looking for all the all natural ingredients they still want to look at a list of ingredients and understand what it is that they're eating versus the you know the goer gum and the scorp i mean all these crazy ing chemical ingredients that that some people have read going into it if you can read an all natural list uh, I think people are definitely would pay a little bit more for it. And there's there's a a couple I, I read in the uh, in in the post a little while ago. They she basically has four or five six kids. We're feeding them and trying to find healthy snacks. They were she was creating something organic. She made everything in house, and people were like, "This is great," and I know what's in it. So she said, "You know what? There's a void in the marketplace. There's something." Even though of all the new products that are out there there's still something that was missing. And she just grew a business out of that. You wanted to mention uh, something that's interesting that's going on in Magog. There's also, and, and it also, you know, revolves a little bit around the, the food, definitely around the food industry. But this is a, this is a, a restaurateur, but that's not just a restaurateur. This is a restaurateur that is really looking at the breadth and depth and verticalness of his business. So not only is it a restaurant, 
in Magog. There's also a farm that they owe. They also do catering business. They also do, uh, you know, certain programs to, to help the community. So this is a, a food industry or a food sector food business where they are really reaching out all tentacles to get everything. So it's, it's not just the breadth. It's not just the fact that, you know, they have a restaurant and catering. There's a lot of people do that. But what they are doing is taking, is going from that, that not vegetable garden, but a farm, a I don't, remember, I don't recall how many acres the farm was, um, but it was a, a lot of acres and maybe 50 that they were growing their own product and they were bringing it to their restaurant and to the other ancillary services that are there. That is vertical. And I think we're going to see a lot more vertical companies, not just in the food, but elsewhere, because they got it. Everybody's trying to keep all their profit to themselves and every middleman that, th- that, that products pass through, they all take their cut. Finally, real quick, uh, this one's pretty interesting. The sharing economy, very big, but uh, you can now share sort of managerial services. Well, I think the, the, you know, the Airbnbs of the world where it's not really, it's the people with, with condos, the people that actually can afford it, but they don't always have the time to deal with it. And they'll pay for that service for somebody else to deal with it. So there are services popping up that will help your sharing economy. That will say, okay, we'll take this territory in downtown Montreal or Queens Key, Toronto or what have you. And they'll say, okay, we're here. We know that there's a whole bunch of areas that that need to be managed because the inventory is you want it, you want all the products to be used all the time. That's what the sharing economy comes from. But you can't always trust the people that you're selling to or that are renting. So this kind of also reduces the risk for there. Today's Entrepreneur on CJAD 800. Coming up, we'll chat with Marissa Seidel of National Dispatch Services, our first profile for our seventh season here on CJAD 800. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and F.L. Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you for the seventh season starting tonight of Today's Entrepreneur. And this evening, Josh, we're joined by Marissa Seidel of National Dispatch Services. Marissa, welcome to Today's Entrepreneur. Thank you for having me. So first question is the easiest. Uh, tell us what you do for a living. So National Dispatch Services is a national facilities maintenance company. We take care of large retail chains across the country, everything from electrical to plumbing, flooring, their HVAC system, which stands for heating, ventilation, air conditioning, um, and anything else that they may need. So you're basically the handyman for retail stores, or the you could handyman say, company, if yeah, you will. you could say that, amongst a lot of other things. We do uh, project management. We help them. Uh, most of our clients are based out of the United States with stores in Canada, very unfamiliar with the, the way things work in Canada. Uh, we translate a lot for them in Quebec, especially. Um, and those are, those are the types of uh, projects that we handle for them within Canada. Um, we also have an American sister company and a handyman electrical company in Toronto as well. So it's three in one. Now, how did you get into this? I mean, did you grow up in construction? No. When, my, when, when did this start? Where did this idea no, come from? No, my father's a social worker. <laughs> um, uh, and my brother... Is, and you didn't want to go into the family business. I did not. <laughs> no. Um, and my brother worked for the Alouettes for years. He works with me and so does my father. So um, basically, I lived in Vancouver and always knew I wanted to get into business for myself. 
And a friend of mine's father owned an electrical company, but he himself was not an electrician. And he did work for retailers, and I thought it was very interesting. Uh, and I started to do a little bit of research and found that in the United States, it was actually a billion-dollar industry, but with almost no service providers in Canada that were Canadian. And so essentially, Americans were coming into Canada and subcontracting, you know, Joe the plumber or uh, Fred the electrician, and didn't have any sort of checks or balance because they didn't know what they were talking about. So if an electrician would say, uh, yeah, it was gonna take, it's going to take me nine hours to do a job because it, ha it takes me this amount of time to travel, the Americans didn't understand. So I found a niche. Um, and that's, that's where it rolled from. Now, again, you didn't know anything about the construction business or plumbing or electricity, no. but you saw this void in the marketplace. What is your first step? How do you, how do you start this up? How do you get people to know that you're starting this business so you learn a lot on your feet and I think that's true for almost anything you do um, but I did a lot of research here when I moved to when I moved back to, so I'm from from Montreal born and raised I lived in Vancouver for four years where I started the business in 2004 um, and I uh, I took courses uh, Google was my best friend for many years um, I asked questions I found a network of really reliable contractors that I could trust that I worked with that taught me a lot and many of those contractors still work with me today as subs um, you also have to have a certain amount of common sense that you uh, employ when you're talking about construction. So for example, and I just want to be clear that I specialize in commercial. I don't do residential. It's very, very different. So you have to sort of use some common sense. If somebody will use an electrician again as an example, tells you, oh, it's going to take me six and a half hours to change nine light bulbs. Well, if that was your house, would you say, okay, so you have to say, well, no, why is it going to take you six hours to change nine light bulbs and have them explain it to you? And if, again, you're using common sense, you start to understand the methodology behind it and you're able to, you know, to navigate. And of course, they have to trust you and, and being a woman in the general contract industry yeah. is kind of tough. So when we come back from the break, maybe we'll explore that challenge that yes, you had to face. it is a challenge. Marissa Seidel joins us of National Dispatch Services. This is Today's Entrepreneur on CJAD 800. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur. We're joined by Marissa Seidel of National Dispatch Services. Um, Marissa, you're in a very male-dominated uh, profession, and yes. you also went in there um, as as a pure entrepreneur, not having not knowing a lot about uh, that kind of business, and learned your way, uh, learned along the way. Um, how did you respond? To, to your entry into the business and did you have any difficulty? Uh, can you tell us about those first, those first few years? <laughs> yes, I had a lot of difficulty. Um, I even till today, so I mentioned before that my brother and my father work for me. My brother's been with me to many trade shows and I cannot tell you the amount of times that a prospective client has walked right by me in a booth up to my brother, who's taller than me, uh, and started talking to him about, you know, how can we do business? So we're a niche, as I mentioned, and the trade shows we go to are American trade shows. So when they see Canada, they're very excited because they realize now they've got a Canadian contractor in Canada. They'll just start talking to him about business and after a few minutes say, you know, we'd really love a sit down. Uh, when can we arrange a conversation with the owner? And he'll turn around, walk right up to me and say, meet the owner, Marissa. And you can see in their face the surprise that they're, you know, they're surprised and shocked that a female would be an owner of a construction 
a construction company and I've had lots of trouble in the past with uh, contractors that didn't love women sort of telling them what to do but that's the reality of this business um, contracting is really about following instructions you ha you can't miss you know connecting the wall by an inch it has to be done properly you can't sort of screw in the light bulb you can't almost unclog the toilet it has to be done very very um, methodically and we're very uh, we're, we're very methodical in what we do um, I would I would feel comfortable saying that a lot of men have issues taking those kind of directives from women. <laughs> We're but, good. Dan and I are good. Yeah. No, we take orders right. very well. Right. Yeah. Well, I don't like where you're sitting right now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so we, um, it's all in the approach. Uh, and once the clients have confidence in you and once your contractors have confidence in you that you know what you're talking about, it really eventually doesn't make a difference. But there are definitely challenges that I had to overcome at the beginning. To this day, do you think that, that to this day there's still that, you know, that little hump to get over, maybe with certain people that don't know you yet or don't know the company? You know, I'll tell you the truth. Yes. But we've solved the problem. My brother is responsible for operations. He does a phenomenal job. We couldn't run the company without him. And he handles all the difficult male, <laughs> male mm. contractors now. Actually, the truth is, um, I'm joking, but um, there there is a certain amount of respect after time that the contractors give me because they understand that at the helm of this incredible uh, multifunctional organization, you know, we've got uh, 26 people working for us in the office. I've got an office in Tampa, Florida. I have my people in Toronto. They understand that at the helm of all of this, the final decision maker is me. And so oftentimes on the on the operations floor, I'll hear my staff say, do you need me to involve Marissa? And I can almost hear the contractor on the other. No, no, it's okay. We're good. We'll do it. <laughs> For the ones that I've been with, there are contractors that remember me. That's, mm. you know, I used to do their job. I used to dispatch the work orders and do the follow-ups, pay the bills as the company grew. Your reputation precedes you. Thank you. <laughs> Marissa Seidel joins us of National Dispatch Services. Uh, on the other side, we'll talk a bit about marketing and uh, human resources and, and lots more with uh, Marissa. <laughs> For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, presented by F.L. Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with F.L. Fuller Landau's Josh Miller for our seventh season here on CJ 8800 every Monday night at 7 p.m. And we're joined by Marissa Seidel of National Dispatch Services. And Marissa's story is kind of interesting because uh, Marissa didn't have a background in construction. Uh, you're obviously, I mean, a woman going into a very male-dominated field. A lot of challenges in the early years, but you've built up a, a great multinational business, essentially. Um, what about getting the word out? How do you how do you get new business? So uh, at this stage of the game, we get a lot of referrals from our clients um, uh, for Canadian stores, um, clients that in in the retail world, retailers talk to each other a lot about best practices and uh, how they can share resources, et cetera, et cetera. In Canada, given that the majority of the properties are all located in the same place, um, retailers, especially with Canadian locations, talk to each other. And we've gotten, uh, we've, we've established quite a reputation in Canada. Uh, so retailers talk to each other. We get a lot of clients like that. We also get clients that go on to other opportunities and take us with them. So, um, 
that's another another really positive way because it shows that they really appreciated what we did for them at their previous job and take us with them. Um, we go to trade shows, as I mentioned before, um, two major ones, actually one coming up next week in Chicago. And we, we try our hand at different trade shows, but we've got one that works real well for us. And Do you uh, believe in, so does that mean you believe in trade shows? Definitely. Face-to-face is always the best. And and in your trade shows, do you just sit behind a booth or you try to actively go out and recruit and walk along? Like, what's been your, your so, style? <laughs> so that's a very interesting question because, as I mentioned, the majority of the uh, of the vendors, that's what we're called in the industry. We're called vendors. The majority of the vendors are American. So at trade shows, um, they're like sharks. They attack clients in the middle of the, of the hallway um, and, and clients take refuge in our booth because of all the American customers. It's that Canada. Go, we're safe. Right. <laughs> That's exactly it. We only we can only speak to ten percent of the people that go to these trade shows, so um, we we have success there. Do you uh, do you find that you always get a return on your investment for trade shows because some of them can be can be quite pricey? And do you see that return right away? I mean, is it, is it clearly worthwhile all the time? No, um, and when it's not, I give it to two chances uh, because you never know you can hit one client and you know your return on investment is incredible you can get seven or eight clients and you still don't make your money back it really depends on how many locations the store has the, the brand has what their needs are what trade do they want you for etc cetera, etc cetera. now when you're dealing you know you, you started this business from scratch getting into it did you have to deal with you know we're talking about general contracting but contracts actual contracts with with all your customers and getting the legal side of it and and making sure was that a was that a tough hurdle or did you did that something that come relatively naturally you had good people around you so uh people tell me that i really should have been a lawyer <laughs> um i i have a knack for reading contracts uh i understand things uh in a certain way that i don't think your average layperson does but i also really believe in surrounding yourself with talent so i have a good friend in toronto who's a lawyer who's helped me almost from the beginning um and i have uh, lawyers here, because Quebec, of course, is different and more complicated than any other province. Well, we are distinct. Right, of course. Um, so I have uh, one lawyer for outside of Quebec, one lawyer for inside of Quebec. Um, and as far as contracts with my customers are concerned, I sign all their paperwork, but I always tell them that I don't hold them to a contract because if they don't want to work with me, then I don't really want to work with them. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want you to do business with me because you feel beholden to a piece of paper. I want you to appreciate the work that we do with you and want to work with us. And as I've said before, um, the only clients we've ever lost are clients that don't pay their bills. That's it. All my clients, some of my customers go back uh, 10, 12 years. Now, you, one of the, one of the aspects of your business, uh, you know, we were talking a little bit off air, is is rather unique, and and also when you're getting into a new business, uh, you know, pricing pricing is an is an interesting factor, and you're dealing with a lot of sub trades or you know different, you know, the electrician and the plumber and all that. How did you determine, first of all, not knowing the business going into it, and developed over the years? What's what's been your pricing model or, or theory or, or practice without giving away the but store. But that's a trade secret. I'll have to kill you afterwards. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, we have a unique model. It's uh, one rate per trade. So what I did was I took an average basically of what I thought to be a fair rate. And that's what I charge my clients throughout the whole country. So uh, there's obviously a lot more you know, yes. it's complicated what goes into determining that price. But that's the basic uh, premise. Keep it simple. 
And I won't yes. say the second word. The stupid. Fourth. You can say stupid. I can? Okay, well, yeah, I don't know. It's my first time on the radio. So keep it simple, stupid. If I explain to somebody that in Vancouver, it's going to cost us seventy-seven fifty for an electrician, and it's also going to cost them, them that in Halifax, they're able to wrap their mind around what the costs are in the company for their brand for electrical work nationwide. Uh, there are formulas that we help them with uh, to establish price points. Uh, you know, budget-wise, they're able to factor in what they think they're going to spend next year based on what they spent this year and it's been a really big help um i know for a fact that other companies have tried to copy it and have failed so it's because there's a there's a system to what goes behind it and you're you're working really nationwide across country we'll talk about canada um so why do you base in montreal you started in vancouver like where did you end up what were the what was the path and why montreal so you know this famous saying the grass is always greener it's not greener on the other side Uh, This is the best province in the country to live in. Um, This is my favorite city. I lived in Vancouver for four years, and while it was a beautiful city, my family was 6,000 kilometers away. Um, My brother got married and had kids, and I wasn't a part of, or I would not have been part of their life had I not been back. That didn't interest me. Uh, My father is here, you know, I don't have a huge family. So the the um, thought of not being around them for important things wasn't interesting to me anymore. So I moved to Toronto. So I was there for 18 months, which I always say is 17 months and 29 days too long. <laughs> and if someone asks me why, well, if you've been to Toronto, then you know the answer. Uh, it's not At for At least me. compared to Montreal. Well, it's not for me. So you, you mentioned family and, and you have family members working in the business. So kind of let's let's gear into the, kind of the human resources part of it. Okay. Uh, aid... A, are you happy that your family yes. is in there? Like your family obviously means a lot to you. Yes. Uh, I'm sure you want to say hello to them. Yes, I do. I also want to say hello to four girls that I know stayed up to listen. Hannah, Daba, Rosie, and Sylvia. Hello. Now, working with family. Tough, yes. easy, uh, yes. challenges. Yes. <laughs> all of the above. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so, you know, there are positives and negatives, obviously. The, we'll start with the benefits, which in my case, um, and I don't know for other family businesses, though I would hope, um, I have two brilliant minds that are working with me. My father owned his own business for 40 years in Montreal, um, and he started his business also from scratch. My brother was uh, started as an intern um, at the Alouettes and worked his way off, uh, worked his way up uh, purely on his skill. So uh, what what they bring to the business, my brother specifically, is a corporate mind. Everything was in my head. That's how you have to picture an entrepreneur. All the information was in my head. They would come into my office and say, we're having trouble finding an electrician in Powell River. And I'd say, just call Frank. Here's the number and tell him that Marissa sent you. And they would be amazed because I I knew this information. But you have to get that information out of my head. So my brother got all of that information out of my head and put it on paper and created policies and, and, um, you know, uh, plans for important things that you need to have when you have staff because when it's just three people if you want to take a vacation go ahead it's formal policies you know at the beginning as you say when you're just a few people that's it but when you're 26 people you need some policies and procedures and and three offices so we can't have five people taking a vacation at once because then the customers don't get serviced but i'm very big on not being a company where you have to fill out an xj22 form for a pen i will never be that so how do you find your people between your contractors and the people that work with you like what are the criteria how do you find them how do you train them my staff quickly yeah at the office Mm -hmm. so i'll also say that i do happen to have um, some of the best staff around Uh, they work hard 
um, they are dedicated, they care about the company, and it's an amazing team. And we've we've just have we've had this team in place, I'd say now for a little bit over four months, where we lost some people, then some people came back, we had some empty spaces, we couldn't find quite the right match, and we finally did. Um, and it's it's there's a little bit of everything. First of all, we give them all basic construction training so that they have enough information to be able to have a coherent conversation with the store with regards to the problem, understanding that the store probably doesn't even themselves know what the problem is, and the contractor who's frustrated because he knows that the store doesn't know what they're talking about and wants to give us the information. So the staff are trained in that. Um, I have a trainer, Sean, who works with all new hires and uh, works really hard with them to make sure that they understand the systems we use uh, I mean we have we have seven different uh, software systems that we use which all the clients use which we have to then fuse into our one system um, our team leader Brandon works with all the staff to make sure that what what we can't supervise specifically they're taking care of and um, the clients love it so it's really a lot of knowledge to impart, yes. and and it takes a lot of time and effort yes. and energy. Uh, I know there's so much more that we can talk about, uh, Dan. You know, we're coming up to the next break, and you know, as we're talking about family, and you know, of course, nobody likes to I have to bring up taxes. Sometimes nobody really likes to pay a lot of taxes, but and certainly with family members, uh, there is there are ways that you can income split. So we're going to talk about that when we come back after the break. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and F.L. Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you for the seventh season, starting tonight of uh, Today's Entrepreneur here on CJAD. And we'll have uh, Marissa Seidel's one piece of advice for Today's Entrepreneur in a few minutes. But first, Dick Moretis joins us, tax partner at uh, F.L., Nick, welcome back to the show. Hi there. So let's talk about income splitting. This was actually a really hot issue in the last federal election. Uh, and and so the big question I think that a lot of people have is, can you still do it? Well, that's um, it's been the question all year, especially with the uh, uh, high tax rates going up to past 53% uh, on income. There's been a lot of people looking to say, well, what do I do to move the income around amongst the family members in, in a manner that is leaf, log, uh, legal? So we uh, we've been there's basic some basic planning that can be done uh, for entrepreneurs who have companies. We really got to take a hard look at using family trust to own shares of one's uh, one's business. Uh, the family trust does provide that opportunity to income split amongst family members, which be you know spouse, uh, children over 18 years of age, uh, could be with extended family members if the relationship is there. Uh, it's and it's uh, an alternative to necessarily paying salaries to family members and. In, in the old days, if um, uh, what some people used to do, I'm not saying everybody, is to uh, pay salaries to family members who have never set foot in the office or the plant. But that could be challenged, I gather. That, that will be challenged and, and reversed, and, and uh, the penalties uh, associated with it is horrible. However, paying a dividend to a family member who has never set foot in, uh, in in the plant or the office is is perfectly legal because uh, you, know, you that's that's what an investment income would be allowed. But as long as a they're a shareholder like they're deserving of it and you want to give them the money that's right once it's in their name it's in their name right. one one of the things with income splitting is and and uh, it's not to say that i'm going to give uh say a, a dollar to, to say my spouse and not give her that dollar and expect her to pay the taxes and the government to be okay with that it's not necessarily uh, the way it would, would work but you would welcome the gift of the dollar right back to you uh, 
you could try that. I'm not su suggesting that uh, if you have a reason why it should be paid back to you because you fronted some expenses and you're getting a reimbursement, then that's fine and that's perfectly uh, normal. But if it is uh, to give a dollar to a spouse and then you keep the dollar for yourself, the government can, upon review, simply tax you and not the spouse. So that family trust is a, is, is a vehicle that's there. But not all of us have businesses uh, to use, so what else can we do? And right now it's still working and still something that should be considered for those who do have cash. If one spouse, if uh, the wife has all the cash and the husband doesn't, is uh, loans. Um, if, this, if the wife loans the husband money um, and so that the husband can reinvest the money, um, what we end up having, happening is uh, the following. If you all you did is lend the money, the government will say, well, fine, we're going to take all the money that the husband earned and tax it back to the wife. So that doesn't quite work. But what if the wife lent the money to the husband, prepared a, a short agreement that says, I'm lending you the money, and charges you a minimum rate, which uh, let's say is the prescribed rate here in Canada, which currently is 1%. Well, the husband will pay that 1% back to the wife, but he gets to be taxed on all his investment income. So if let's say there's a million dollars going between the, the spouses and let's say um, that you invest in bank stocks that seem to be paying 3 to 4% dividend rates these days, the husband is going to be getting thirty dollars to $40,000 of dividend income. He will have to pay $10,000, which is 1% on the million, to his wife and actually make the check out to her before uh, the end of January of every single year. And he, he, he pays tax on the difference. If his tax rate is very low, you've just finished saving between, say, a high-income spouse at 50-something percent to a lower-income spouse at about 30-something percent. That 20 points on that adds up. And, and this is not a very complicated scheme. More with uh, Nick on income splitting and uh, the one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur from Marissa Seidel in just a moment. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. We'll have uh, Marissa's one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur in a moment. But first, Nick Moretis, tax partner at FL, discussing income splitting. And the short answer, Josh, is I guess, yes, there, there are still ways you can still do it. Still ways you can do it as, as long as you have people to split with. So, Nick, uh, there there might be one or two other smaller ways that... Uh, that that, that is very important because uh, the key word was family members. And, and if, if you don't have a family... You Close don't friends, want to, professionals. Uh, or, or your favorite tax accountant, but that doesn't work either. Mm -hmm. If you don't have uh, the, the family members and you're not prepared to give up the cash towards them, um, then if, if, uh, income splitting doesn't have the same impact. Um, other other ideas, um, you don't want to have a trust. Your, your family members do not have uh, shares. You can consider uh, lending money to your family members through your corporation. Now, that generally, Josh, as you know, for us, it sends us shivers because it's a no-no and we have to pay back the loans. But what if you don't pay back the loans and a lower-income family member is now uh, receiving a benefit and he will be paying tax, or maybe not that much tax as compared to you. But the cash has left the company and gone to the, the family member. That's another way of... Uh, uh, splitting income. An easy way, uh, which is the reg uh, registered education savings plans for children's education, because basically you're taking your uh, capital, putting it into an RESP, generating ta tax-deferred income in that RESP, and then all the income that's been earned by the RESP plus the grants that the governments have given you will be taxed in the child's hand when they start school and they're not earning any income. You can always get the capital back into your pocket. So that's another method of uh, income splitting. 
I could go on, but uh, no, I, I listen. I, you know, Nick. I, the I idea, think the, and the, a lot of the idea is, you, you, if you're if you need half a million dollars to live on, or, or three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars to live on, you're trying to spread that income around to the to the other family members to use up the graduated tax rates, and it could be a 10, 15 point saving on all this money. That's basically the plan. And, and if not, then you'll pay your millions of dollars That's and right. be happy you pay millions right. of dollars in taxes be because it means to. you've earned at least exactly. two. So as we as we come to the end of our first show of the seventh season, as Dan has mentioned once or twice or seven times, it's impressive. Uh, yes, I think it's it great, and I'm honored to be part of it. Does it, it happen every day in radio? It does. Oh not. wow! What Marissa Seidel, yes. National Dispatch Services? What would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? Uh, be honest. Be have integrity. Uh, be true to your word, and because your word is your bond. And you know, of 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 the many things that we hear over the years, Dan, while people embody that, they don't always say it. They don't always give that as a piece of advice. They always say, you know, love what you do and do that. But, but be real, be genuine, be true to your word. Be true uh, to I, your word. I think uh, I think that will likely come back in spades. So thank you very much, Marissa. Thank you for having me. Marissa Seidel of National Dispatch Services. Thanks, Marissa, and thanks to Nick Moretis, of course, tax partner at FL. Uh, next week on the program, we'll do something that's a bit more in my expertise, PR, not so much manual labor. Uh, <laughs> and we'll have Priya Chopra uh, from One Milk, Two Sugars PR in the program next week. And uh, back every Monday night at 7 p.m. here on CJAD 800 for Today's Entrepreneur. The Exchange with Dave Kaufman and Bugs Burnett is next. Have a good night.